whichever day you're listening to this podcast. Hello to everyone listening. Happy day to all. Um, welcome to episode seven of the Honey and Heart podcast. If you're new here, we talk about womanhood and leadership. We release new episodes every other Wednesday. So if you don't already, please follow us on Instagram at Honey and Heart Pod and check out our website, honeyandheartpod.com. There you can subscribe to our email list. You'll get notified of all new episodes and Whatever else, whatever other fun stuff we're up to over here. Folks, happy day indeed. We are <laughs> smack dab in the middle of February, which is Black History Month. So if you follow us on Instagram, Taylor dropped our Instagram earlier at Honey and Heart Pod. Every Monday in February, we have been featuring a different Black woman in history. Um, a woman who truly shaped history through their determination and leadership. So far, we've featured... Shirley Kisholm, then Flo Kennedy, and most recently, Bessie Coleman. Those are the three women we've highlighted. There's one more week left in February, so you will have to follow us and see who we feature last, but most definitely not least. So many amazing Black women have shaped American history, and we're happy to highlight them and feature them um, every day, but especially during Black History Month. Tying that in to our topic today. So for today's episode, we want to highlight a Black woman who has truly changed the way us Americans enjoy film and TV. She has written and produced some of our favorite television shows, and she may have shaped your life up until this moment. We're talking about Hollywood's biggest showrunner, Shonda Rhimes. Yes. So Shonda Rhimes, I think the best occupational title we can give her is showrunner, which means she's the lead producer on a television show. So um, I think I've gotten a little bit too into what the showrunner title is because of the <laughs> Dak Shepard podcast. I talk about it way too much, but um, it's just interesting to hear the way that Hollywood does things. Um Shonda Rhimes is the executive producer of Grey's Anatomy, Scandal, How to Get Away with Murder, and most recently, Bridgerton. According to Wikipedia, a showrunner has the creative and management responsibility of a television series production through combining the responsibilities of employer and in comedy and drama shows typically also creates the characters is the head writer and script editor. So kind of the person who's in charge of making sure that what you see on screen is the vision coming to life and becoming a reality in the best way possible. They're basically the boss. That's yeah. what it sounds like. <laughs> um, the boss and the moneymaker. Which is crazy. Like the whole um, like unseen side of Hollywood is really interesting to me because it's like so much work goes into these shows um, on the back end that we just like, how many producers can you name? You know, <laughs> how many directors even can you name? Like maybe a few more there. <laughs> like really the only ones I can even think of are like, Midnight Shyamalan and like Tarantino. <laughs> yeah, like those guys. And, um, you know, obviously there's issues with diversity in Hollywood that um, just on like the level that we see. So it gets even worse the more unseen you go in Hollywood as far as diversity goes. Um, it gets a lot more white and a lot more male 
the deeper you get into it. So, oh, that's what I think makes Shonda Rhimes such um, such a standout in her field because not only is she a woman, she's a black woman, and she's in this position of literally like one of the highest positions you could be in in the in that side of Hollywood. Absolutely. And I think too, um, so often we think that like the most successful person on a show is the one who's on the poster or on the billboard or who like has the screen time, but really it's the masterminds behind it. And I think that's why the title of showrunner is like so interesting to me because, you know, Meredith Grey and El Pompeo on Grey's Anatomy is like nothing without Shonda Rhimes. Like truly this was all conjured up in her head. Um, mm-hmm. and I was actually just looking up a quote um, that recently came out today from Olivia Wilde that really ties in what you were saying, Taylor. So I thought I would include it. It was like sending off little fireworks in my brain. So mm-hmm. Olivia Wilde came out on her Instagram today and said, little known fact, most male actors don't want to play supporting roles in female female-led films. The industry has raised them to believe it lessens their power, i.e. financial value, to accept those roles, which is one of the reasons it's so hard to get financing for movies focusing on female stories. And truly, Shonda Rhimes focuses on female stories. And I think having Mm -hmm. a person like her in the field is really necessary. Yeah, definitely. And I'm not going to lie, I've only seen about half of her whole <laughs> filmography we have listed here. Um, I wasn't a Grey's person. Were you a, a Grey's person? Yes, I was. <laughs> and um, like, I, I feel like I heard about it like too late to get into it. And I was like, it's like going to be a commitment to get into it now at this point. And I don't still watch Grey's Anatomy. There definitely like came a point where I was uninterested. And actually, when I was in college, I I think live time, I only watched Grey's Anatomy for like the first like three or four seasons, which is crazy because I do believe I was like in fifth grade. <laughs> um, <laughs> but then in college, I went back and watched it until like maybe like season seven, season eight. And I do like the show. There is a point where it gets like a little ridiculous. Um, mm-hmm. It's soap opera y. But um, I mean, Shonda Rems has come up with ways to like tell a story that people are interested in still watching. So mm-hmm. I'm not going to like knock anybody who still watches it, but it did, it ran its course for me. Yeah. I mean, just the fact that it's been on television for that long is crazy. Like, very few shows, I feel like, can actually do that. Unless you are, like, I don't know, so proper. Yeah. So proper is still going. But it's only because their plot line just gets absolutely insane. Yeah. They, like, passed the threshold of reality, like, ten years ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like someone's cousin just came back to life yeah, right? from the dead. <laughs> just like them, yeah. Yeah. And so one of the things with Shonda Rhimes and her shows too is, you know, she is a woman telling women's stories. Oftentimes when her, uh, I think Grey's Anatomy started off as, um, shoot, I just lost the word, but a show based off of like multiple characters. I think there were like a few main characters, but now the course it's ran is there's like one main female character and then uh-huh. Scandal was based around one main female character who was a black woman. How to Get Away with Murder was based around one female character who was a black woman. And um, there's a really interesting roundtable. I'll try and 
link it in the show notes if I can find it. But it's Gabrielle Union just talking about when um, Scandal was created and how like every black woman in Hollywood was like wanted the role that Carrie Washington got. Mm. And how that was a moment where she realized, like, I can't be mad at Kerry Washington because she got the role I wanted. I should work to not have to be so dependent on this industry to give me roles. I may have to, like, create my own, which is a whole other conversation. But really, I just want to kind of tie in that, like, Shonda Rhimes was creating opportunities for these stories that not a lot of other people were telling. Yeah. I would really like to know, I mean, how much pushback she's faced in her career, too. Like that quote you just read from Olivia Wilde, it's still hard today to center just female stories in film and media. So uh, to even create, I mean, Grey's Anatomy has been on, you know, how many years now? And then Scandal, too, started in 2012. Yeah. And so I do think that Scandal's over, but it ran for a very long time and Grey's Anatomy started in 2001 I'm sorry 2001 2000 sorry Grey's Anatomy started in 2005 so it's been 16 years and they've done 17 seasons um yeah and I just think you know to have to like have that under your belt like And the fact that, you know, that could have been the only show Shonda Rhimes did. And it's not. It's really kind of how at least I came to know her. But Mm -hmm. actually, in my research, I found out that that's not true. Shonda Rhimes actually left an imprint on my heart when I was just in elementary school because she wrote Crossroads. Britney Spears' debut film was written by the Shonda Rhimes. It's Shonda Rhimes. Wrote the story of her coming of age. My coming of age. <laughs> uh, literally my coming of age. Um, but if you haven't heard of Crossroads, what are you doing with your life? Miss Brittany Jean Spears stars in this movie. And it is such a great movie. So touching. Coming of age. Three best friends go on a road trip. Post-graduation or post-prom night. Yeah. And it is such a sad story, too. 2002, Britney Spears, you know, movie of the, of the, of the year of my second grade year. (laughs) Should we talk about Free Britney? Yeah, we should touch on it. So I think Jacqueline and I have both watched, did you watch the Framing Britney Spears? Framing Britney Spears as a part of the New York Times documentary series, which can be streamed on Hulu. So that whole documentary, I watched it with Justin and we're like, well, none of this is like new. Like we knew all this, but to just like put it all together in one timeline out of her life, it just, it got me so mad and it was so sad. Well, and even to seeing her interviews where I feel like in in today, in 2021, you have to look at those as like real, genuine emotion. And you have to have some sympathy and empathy for the fact that she was actively experiencing these things. And really, I felt like they were downplayed at the time. Like, yeah, we all knew about it. But 
like the fact that multiple times she was on the Good Morning America or something along those lines and like broke down and had to stop and not because she was really in any real scandal. Like this is not the same as when people are canceled. This is not the same as people coming out and having their morning show interview because they got like hashtag me too'd. Like this Mm -hmm. is a woman who had like a public mental breakdown and she was just like shamed for it. It's just... I don't think there's any other way to say it other than like, it's just really shitty. (laughs) Yeah. And like, I'm so grossed out by Justin Timberlake now, now seeing every, everything he did in that documentary, like to Britney and how he really framed their situation in the media. And um, even today, like Jamila Jamil, Mm -hmm. she does a lot of work. Um, and documenting like how the media still today like covers women and it's crazy like they look for the clickbaity titles that all like you know make someone seem crazy for doing something so small and like oh my god the paparazzi guy in the documentary dude i'm sure everybody's like seen the clip but when they ask the paparazzi you know, did you ever think about like stepping back or stopping? And he's like, yeah, she asked us to stop for the day, but not like stop overall. And it's like, yeah, what about when she fucking took an umbrella to your car because she just wanted to be left alone? You didn't think that that was a sign of anything? And and he thought he had like a personal relationship with her, like asked her if she was okay. And it's like, why would you be concerned about her? And then go sell those photos of her with the umbrella and like making that face uh, because obviously she was extremely angry and under a ton of pressure. Like why would, if you cared about her, why would you go sell those photos to the media? Like how delusional do you have to be? (laughs) Honestly. And truly like paparazzi culture. I remember, um, it was during the time of like Brad and Angelina. And I remember there being like a hunt to try and get pictures of their baby because mm-hmm. pictures of their baby, they would sell it to the us weeklies, the whoever's and then would be able to make their money off of that. And I remember thinking it was crazy. And I think there was like a huge thing when, when Brad and Angelina had their baby that people paid them for the picture and they donated the picture. I'm sorry. They donated the money to, um, a charity because their thing was we would rather get this picture out and not have people hounding us and flying drones in our backyard and chasing us in black SUVs on the freeway, trying to get this picture. We'd rather just like basically like feed the lions now and just know that we'll have our peace. And to know that that was only like 10 years ago in our culture that we were like so demanding of these people is truly just insane. Kind of just makes me think of other women in media today, like how much their story has been affected Mm -hmm. or their lives and story has been affected by media. And like, I think of like Lady Gaga, Madonna, Taylor Swift, um, even like Selena Gomez and Ariana Grande. Like how how much like are we going to reflect on what they've experienced in the next like five to 10 years that we're going to look back and be like, oh, my God. And, you know, it also makes me think of 
Princess Diana. And that was mm-hmm. a good amount of time before me. Like I didn't grow up with Princess Diana in my in my life. I think, you know, I knew about her being a, a classy woman the same way I heard about like Jackie Kennedy. Um, it felt like something that had happened already. But there was when Mariah Carey recently came out with her book, one of the things she said is that she whispered wish Princess Diana was around today for a million reasons, but one of them being because she thinks that Princess Diana would have been so empowered by social media because she would then have the opportunity to tell her own story. And it is really interesting how much like tabloids and paparazzi culture had a say over the stories that these women could say, like um, people who have felt who have had a really hard time in the public eye, like Selena Gomez specifically, you know, early on in her career, it was more the magazine covers. But now if she's just going to take a break, she can just post directly to her people, the people who care about her. She can say exactly what she wants to say. And she can know that she's saying it to a community that supports her. And I do think that social media has a lot of not so great aspects, but that is a positive aspect. Yeah, totally. And that makes me just even more sad for Brittany because social media didn't come out until, you know, later in her career. Basically at the time, like, yes, she was able to start posting more and like taking control of her narrative, but social media basically came out at the start of like her conservatorship. So that's even being controlled to Mm -hmm. what extent, you know, we might never know. Like, is it her? Is she actually able to do her own post scenes and be on there? Like, from some of those videos she puts out, it seems like that's a no. She'll be like, like just recently, like she put a video. She's like, "You guys have been writing in," and I'm like, "Writing into where? Where have we been writing in?" Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, "What are they telling her? You know that they're like, this is what your fans are writing in, like asking your favorite color, like, girl, we know your favorite color." We know your favorite flower. <laughs> we got it. Like, yeah, it's just, it's so sad. And we need to do something. So everyone go put pressure on the ACLU to represent her. Well, I was going to say, you know, truly kind of seeing where the world has changed. Like now you have a respected organization like the ACLU speaking out against conservatorships as a whole and how these um, types of court decisions are made for people who are truly past the point of, you know, doing things in their own best interests. They could act against themselves. That's the purpose of a conservatorship. And, you know, if Britney Spears can headline a fantastic Vegas show that I have seen and sang and danced along to every single word, if she can control those aspects, then she should be able to control day-to-day aspects of her life. And um, Mm -hmm. for me, one of the biggest things about the documentary that just like really caught me off guard and and kind of connected some dots for me is that when her paparazzi thing really kind of went up in flames and we got the Britney going 2007 meme that if you're still using it is a lazy, lazy joke meme. And it's really not funny anymore. So this is your, Mm -hmm. uh, this is your notification to retire any shaved head jokes. Um, But that she was, possibly in the midst of postpartum depression. Her mom wrote in her book, um, her mom wrote in her book, not Brittany's book, in her mom's book. Okay, mm-hmm. I got confused on that for no reason. <laughs> mom wrote in her book 
that Brittany was dealing with postpartum depression, it seemed to her, and that she was having a hard time. And that's a normal thing for people. So imagine having that with people parked outside your house, taking pictures and wanting a hot take when you just got told you can't see your kids today. Like, truly, it seems like we're bouncing around. Watch the documentary. But we just <laughs> need to be like kinder to ourselves and and everyone. And um, mental health is really important. And I'm sorry that there is like a generation of people that were exploited in that. Yeah. And I really think too, you know, sometimes people don't have sympathy for famous people. Agreed. And I get that. But also that level of fame, no money is making them, can make those paparazzi go away. And I think, you know, we talked about it too in our Kim Kardashian episode that it's just that level of fame comes with a whole nother set of problems and stresses. Mm -hmm. Like to not even be able to feel like you can be your own person or just run an errand. Oh, I couldn't imagine. (laughs) I did. It is interesting that that came out like so recently to our Kim Kardashian episode because like we did a good amount of not so much like research, but just thinking through our thoughts with all that getting organized in what her timeline was. It's, it was interesting to see how paparazzi culture affected Kim Kardashian and how it affected Britney Spears. And Mm -hmm. they're definitely not, not related. Um, I think Britney Spears and Kim Kardashian in the 2007 era were on totally different planes, Mm -hmm. but you know, Kim was able to kind of like come up in that. And then now she has a voice post paparazzi culture and Paparazzi culture really consumed Britney. Mm-hmm. Let's try and think of a positive way to bring us back to this episode. Um, but I think it was really interesting to see in the documentary how young girls were spoken to and how easily it was for them and their bodies to be objectified and kind of talked about in ways that were strange. Like Taylor and I were just talking about how in her star search interview, they're like, ask about her boyfriend. I think when she was 17, there was a TV host who like asked about her breasts. Um, I don't know if you remember this Taylor, but I remember when Mary Kay and Ashley Olsen were about to turn 18, there was like a countdown clock to the day, the hour, the minute that these girls would turn 18 so that people could like start sexualizing them. And I just, it's so gross to see. And it's, it is in the like timeline of history. It's like such a snap moment where like we don't talk like that anymore. Like the fact Mm -hmm. that, you know, Britney Spears is not even in her 40s yet, but the way she was talked to as a child would like cause someone today to like file a complaint. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that is crazy, but I also think. You know, we didn't really fully snap out. I mean, look at Billie Eilish. Like, oh, I mean, I guess that's true. It's it's unfortunately a lesson we have to keep learning. Yeah, and I mean, definitely we call it out and recognize it more today, um, and don't accept it. But it's definitely still happening. I mean, that's why Billie Eilish like wears a lot of the clothes she wears because she doesn't want to be looked at that way. And until recently, she was a minor. You know, I think maybe she's 19 now. Maybe she might still be 18, but yeah, it's crazy. So 
crossroads. <laughs> so bringing um, it up to our teen idols movie premiere crossroads. Great movie. Yeah. It does tell a story from like a young woman's perspective. Um, in my opinion, I do think that Shonda Rhimes storytelling has only gotten better since crossroads. Oh yeah, totally. And that brings us today Ooh, to maybe. Bridgerton. Bridgerton. Okay, Bridgerton um, is now the most watched show in Netflix history. That's in the first month, it got 83 million household views. Absolutely insane. It, it is crazy. And I wonder if like Bridgerton's success could have happened like without COVID and a million other things. But I watched it. Taylor watched it. I genuinely enjoyed the show. I loved it. At first, I, like, turned it on, and I'm not, really not a person that's, like, into, like, period sort of films and stuff like that, but Bridgerton is just so well done and captivating, and the storyline is just so, so good. I think the characters are so well developed, and it's just so good. I don't even know what else to say about it. I am, like, a little sad that I'm done watching it. And I don't know that I like really get like that for movies and TV shows, but it was just like such a nice reprieve from the other stuff that was going like the other stuff that was out. Um, It was a show that my boyfriend and I were able to like sit down and watch in both like and neither of us like felt silly about liking it. It wasn't like oh, watch my guilty pleasure show with me. It was like watch this good show. And kind of just tying into the way we like talk about women in culture and the way we allow women to tell certain stories. One of the things that I appreciated while watching Bridgerton was really the importance of like sexual education, sexual well-being, sexual health, and how detrimental it can be to individuals to like not have that information and how, um, like hot consent can be like there wasn't a moment in the show when like a man overpowered a woman um everything was like very much like i'm very into you um are you very into me and then it was like the scenes the scenes speak for themselves yeah that's a very steamy show (laughs) (laughs) especially the last half And I think just the relationship between all the characters, too. Obviously, this was a time where women were repressed, um, like most of history, but especially then. And, you know, we're just basically made to be married off. But I think how each character develops, like even some of the sub characters, like. I guess Eloise. I just think their storylines are so great too and how dynamic they are. Like truly watching it, I was like, okay, maybe it's because it's like a sister thing. I was like, Eloise is not giving Daphne enough credit here. Like Daphne is pretty badass and Eloise just thinks she wants to like get married off. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, it's not the case. (laughs) And, um, I mean, I thought Daphne, the whole thing, like, I feel like she's just so, she really holds her own and is so badass throughout the whole thing. Definitely. And I just love how the show is filmed, too. Like, Mm -hmm. the visuals are absolutely stunning. It's so Mm -hmm. beautiful. The The styling's beautiful. Yeah. And um, the casting is just so amazing. 
Um, I just saw a video the other day, too, that actually um, the queen is based off of a real-life queen who is actually thought to be um, biracial. Um, But since there's no photographs at the time, all we have are paintings of her that are, like, extremely whitewashed. Mm -hmm. Um, But I definitely still saw the similarity. So I think it's really interesting how this story is so dynamic. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. Like, how much it actually ties into history yeah well like the the historical context of the show and i kind of felt like it tied into um i'm watching the crown with my parents right now and so Mm -hmm. it was just funny to kind of bounce back and forth and obviously bridgerton is like a much brighter even like looking show um it's like much more current um it's like dramatic because it's not based off of real people a hundred percent it's more inspired by historical contexts than you know the crown is like about queen elizabeth but i even thought i mean shonda rhymes whoa i just had a thought shonda rhymes and what she does for the music in her shows and like the soundtracking of her shows i actually think is really amazing like the band The Fray in the mid 2000s like owes their success to Shonda Rhimes for their for song, how to save a life being in like every episode and i always thought that that was like so well done like i think even the song Chasing Cars if i you know that song um yeah would you lie with me and just forget the world? Like every kind of indie soft rock song of the 2000s was highlighted on Grey's Anatomy in a way that like truly made it be successful. And watching Bridgerton and hearing all the classical music renditions of Taylor Swift and Ariana Grande songs, I was like, this is freaking cool. Like I oh my God, yes. to the Bridgerton soundtrack when I'm at work. <laughs> They're like going to the ball and it's just the string version of thank you next. And I'm like, Oh my God, I loved it. It's so good. Didn't it feel like it didn't feel out of place at all. Like it felt like a song back then. I can't remember what Taylor Swift song it was, but there is a Taylor Swift song that's like featured in the show. And it just is like about like longing and like loving someone. And I didn't even think like, oh, this is a current song in like a period piece. I just thought like oh, the emotion that this song is portraying is perfect for the scene. Because um, apparently I am a media critic now, but um, <laughs> aren't we all? Aren't we all? Um, that's it. That's why we we have a podcast. Um, yeah, <laughs> we are the media. We are the media. <laughs> um, another thing that I thought was really really interesting with this show which also ties into the Kim Kardashian episode, but Brandy's Cinderella of the like race bending. And it almost just kind of, it like melts. So when you're watching Brandy's Cinderella, at least for me, the fact that like everyone's a different race just kind of like melts away. Like, and Mm -hmm. Eric, um, like I think the prince in Cinderella, he has Whoopi Goldberg, a black woman as his mom. And he has the, sexist professor from Legally Blonde as his dad. Um, Oh, yeah. (laughs) And then he's Asian. And you kind of, like, don't even think about it. But in Bridgerton, 
there's not so much that like, you know, every family looks like each other, but race really plays no role in like the hierarchy of this community. And, you know, Mm -hmm. it's not that like, it's the black Duke or anything like that. It's just that these people are well-respected within their community kind of outside of race. And it was just really interesting to see a show have such a diverse cast, but not have that be like the plot point. Yeah, I do think there was, like, one mention of it, the Duke with, like, his motherly figure, and it mentions race, I think, like, once. Oh, I didn't even pick up on it. I know, it was such, like, a small little mention, and it was, like, a quick, like, not even a five-minute conversation they had, where he mentioned something along the lines of, like, I don't know how they, like, got into their position, how he became, like, the Duke. Um, what is he the Duke of? Whatever he ordered or something. I, I was going to say Wellington, but I feel like I'm just thinking of Beef Wellington. So I don't yeah. know if that's true. The Duke of all Wellingtons. Um, but like, so they just mentioned he's like, you know, we got here, and there's still some weirdness about. I don't. I honestly felt like it was a little bit out of place because there is no mm-hmm. other context to it. I'll have to find the clip and send it to you. Maybe we'll link it down below too. Maybe they'll dive. Maybe they'll dive deeper into it in like season two. Maybe there's like more information about like the history of like race in this community that they'll talk about in season two. But um, I didn't Ooh. think it was like a huge storyline. But maybe that was like no, a little it wasn't. Easter egg. Did you hear the thing Ooh. about how she was doing all the um, bumblebees? Like every bumblebee in the show is like an Easter egg to something, and we don't know what it means yet. Oh my god, I have to go rewatch it now. <laughs> I, I would love for season two to be a pre that season almost. Oh, that would be pretty because cool. to also figure out like um, what's Daphne's last name? Bridgerton. <laughs> oh god, cut that. We're gonna cut that part out. Yes, <laughs> but um, to know like how did the Bridgertons become the Bridgertons, right? Because they're not royalty or anything, Mm-mm. but they do have a level of what status. To dad? Right, like they do have a level of status that um, people like the Weatherbees are aspiring to. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so it's like, mm-hmm. what is their and like their house is nice, but it's not a castle. <laughs> well, and it is interesting too. I had this thought while I was watching this show, but like no matter how quote unquote like poor or like downtrodden you were, you like always had enough people to like work in your home. <laughs> like you had to be really, really poor, really, really commoner level to to not have help at home. And yeah, I that was really interesting. And I also think that was probably, like, 90% of the population back then. (laughs) Well, I do think, though, that, like, that's fairly true. Like, I even think in Little Women, like, they're supposed to be, like, a fairly, like, downtrodden, poor family. But even they have a housekeeper. Mm. You, like, let someone live in your home. And, like, that was probably all you paid them. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) definitely. And I definitely want to see what happens to the Weatherbees now that, you know... (laughs) (laughs) that was the one spoiler guys the sound effect yeah if you know you know but if you don't know then that wasn't too bad of a spoiler no i think it'll be okay um but it is just interesting that you know this show that has been just like a huge mass success is 
because of the created my creative mind of a woman who has had much massive success. Matt, whoa, <laughs> has had such massive success. And in like a little bit of our researching, I found that Shonda Rhimes had a contract with ABC. She was creating content for ABC Networks, which is why you have Grey's Anatomy, Scandal, How to Get Away with Murder, all on the same channel. But that Bridgerton is the first of a series of projects that Shonda Rhimes is working on for Netflix exclusively. And I think she's operating, uh, her company is called Shondaland. Yes, Um, which... Side note, I just think that's a really cute name. Um, It is cute. She kind of like creates her own land. She creates her own worlds. Sometimes they collide. Um, I was so into Grey's Anatomy that I also watched Private Practice, the spinoff of Grey's Anatomy that like no one liked um, except me in 2009. Um, But... Yes. So Shonda Rhimes is behind Shondaland. That's her own executive um, production company. She created the company in a culture that lifts up and features women and even more so lifts up and features women of color, um, which I think is um, something that's really important. Jordan Peele has, you know, had a lot of success with his films as well. He's like the first Black horror film director came from a sketch comedy background of Key and Peele. And I remember when Jordan Peele came out and said that in his movies, there will never be like a white lead. And everyone was like, WTF, what does that mean? And he, his thing was, you know, I've just, there's enough white leads out there and I'm not a white Mm -hmm. man, I'm a black man. And I think that I have really interesting stories to tell with different types of people. And although Shonda Rhimes has created shows with both white and black women, she's creating stories that feature pretty much women at the forefront. And she's creating stories that not a lot of other people have. And she's created more and more opportunities. And um, I think she's doing a damn good job at it. I personally am very interested in a Bridgerton season two. I'm very interested to see what else she does for Netflix. Yeah, same. She's only 47 years old, which if you think so, what, it was 2005 that Grey's Anatomy came out. Mm-hmm. That was 16 years ago. So she was how old? 30? No. <laughs> 31. Thirty. I was going to say 31. Okay. I wanted to make sure I got the numbers right. 47, and she has like an empire. She has a production company with multiple successful franchises under it. The deal that she made with Netflix is referred to in the industry as the richest deal in TV history. She's going to work to be a writer, director, and producer on her upcoming television programs. And um, I just think that it's really rad. I truly, um, my (laughs) inspiration for wanting to have this episode and wanting to have it feature around Shonda Rhimes is I'm just like really impressed by her and I'm hoping that we'll find out more about her. She, since she is kind of a, in a behind the scenes role, she's able to live in like anonymity. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, if Shonda Rhimes went to the grocery store, I probably wouldn't know. But if like Ellen Pompeo head of Grey's Anatomy went, I would, I could pick her out of a room of a hundred people. Yeah. And so I am interested, like I think you mentioned earlier, like I wonder if she's gotten any flack about like the types of projects she's put up. I wonder kind of what obstacles Mm -hmm. have been put in her way. She doesn't really speak to things like that 
it seems like from what I've seen, she, she's just like, I let the work speak for itself. You know, she's successful and she lets her success speak for her in those ways. But I would be really interested if she like comes out and starts to be a little bit more like in the public eye, kind of like talks about those backroom deals a little bit because um, I was doing some research on other black women in this industry who are in a similar role to her. And the list isn't very long. Um, mm-hmm. off the top of my head, I didn't like make a note of this, but off the top of my head, you know, like Issa Rae and Insecure, like she's a black woman, but still for her, it was like, she was like laying the groundwork as she went. She was learning as she was going and connecting with people who were on her level in hopes that they could, um, you know, create something great and propel each other forward. And I think that that's kind of like where Shonda Rhimes is too. Like she does things that are on her level, lets the success speak for it. And then she's elevating herself and elevating people with her. Now that she has this largest TV deal in history and now her own production company, um, what kind of stories she'll be telling and how they differ from what she's told um, in the past. Cause I feel like there's a few different I guess you would say generations for lack of a better word of like women stepping up into roles and like breaking glass ceilings and stepping into leadership to where, you know, she had to do the work and just kind of put her head down and focus on that to get there. She wasn't, she were to speak up like along her career, she probably would have faced a lot more adversity. So yeah, I would love to see of what she comes out with now uh, if it has any sort of voice change like in that direction and if her stories go um, maybe a more a more unique and like diverse um, just sort of dynamic mm-hmm. as she as she you know I'm sure there's a, a sense of freedom she feels now with mm-hmm. owning her own media company than she did working for ABC. Absolutely. Um, and one thing I'm, um, that I did want to touch on is the women that she like brings up in this. You know, Bridgerton is still relatively new. And I'll be honest, I don't know the main actress's name. But of her shows that are kind of like tried and true, a part of like American TV culture, Grey's Anatomy, Scandal, and How to Get Away with Murder – the three women who are at the fronts of those TV shows are like amazing women. They're amazing leaders. Um, I think Ellen Pompeo does an amazing job speaking out about racial injustice and always showing up to the conversation, being like ready and willing to listen. There's a really great interview with um, Ellen Pompeo, Gabrielle Union, and I think Gina Rodriguez. There's someone else there, too, who I can't remember. Um, I'll try and link that in the show notes as well. But um, Ellen Pompeo like does an amazing job, I think, navigating this industry to make it serve her. Carrie Washington is like a queen of queens. Um, mm-hmm. She is just like such a lovely person. Um, and Viola Davis is amazing. She is a gorgeous mm-hmm. woman and such a strong actor. And um, I like truly love following her on Instagram 
um, she like posted a picture with like sex toys a couple weeks ago. And she was like, enjoy your Friday however you need to. And I like texted it to my friend. I was like, does Viola Davis just know what she posted? And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm pretty sure Viola Davis knows what she posted. But I was like, that, that minx, she gets me. Um, but I just think, I think that says a lot about who Shonda Rhimes is when you look at the women that she wanted to work with and to know that they're like all standout women. Yeah. You know, Shonda Rhimes is just truly an amazing example of how to show up in a space where maybe there wasn't room for you to begin with and to create that space and opportunity, not only for herself, but for so many others. She really highlights that Jacqueline you found on her Shondaland website. Um. Yes, she had a cute little like poem um, on the about section of her Shondaland website. And I'll just highlight the first couple sentences of it. But it says, we tell stories all day long, dark or light. We use our stories for good. We invite you to join us. Our table is for anyone who wants a seat. And, you know, that really stuck out to me, not because I thought like, oh, look at someone like talking the talk. I thought this is a woman I've seen walk the walk. And this really aligns with what I'm seeing and kind of just tying it back to what we said earlier is I do think that she's a woman who like lets the work speak for itself. And she does a really good job doing it. And um, I'm excited to see where she goes in the future. She's like a mid 40 something. And I'm like, I'm so excited to see where she grows. (laughs) (laughs) Well, not grows, but you know, what she puts out there for us to consume. Yeah. And I'm just so stoked that now we're going to get more from her perspective. Mm -hmm. And like, this is what we need. This is what we want. And um, this is what we need businesses to be modeled after uh, and to be modeled like going forward. Like we can, we don't have to get stuck with where we're at now and it doesn't always have to be like this. And I know at times, like a lot of us have felt this way, especially in the last year that we're like, dang, we're not as far as we think we should be, you know, on a lot of things in society, but it's like, look, there is room for progress there is room for growth and there are people out there doing it. And um, I just think her career is just so amazing and inspiring. Um, I'll follow up with the second part of her little poem. It says, if we can leave you, this is from Shonda, my girl, if we can leave you with one lesson, let it be this. If you don't like your story, rewrite it. If you don't rewrite it, someone else will rewrite it for you. Never let that happen because then you've been silenced. So really saying that, you know, your life is in your hands. The pen is in your hands. You know, for her, it's writing. But if, you know, you're ever uninspired by the path your life is taking, you can uh, you can always redirect. As my very, very wise friend Taylor said today, yes, the co-host of this podcast, rejection is just redirection so hopefully we can all take some words of wisdom from good old tay and good old shonda (laughs) for uh for the rest of our week um i was just literally looking up 
unwritten lyrics by Natasha Bettyfield. Like that little Yeah. Our story's unwritten. So if you haven't seen Bridgerton, go check out Shonda's work. If you're not a Grey's Anatomy fan, maybe check that out. Or maybe just watch Bridgerton instead. I was going to say, if you are a Grey's Anatomy fan, watch Bridgerton. But even if you're not a Grey's Anatomy fan, watch Bridgerton. Because if you're not watching it, it's the most popular show right now. You're not like you're not getting any cool points. You're, you're not, not in on the anything. jokes. You're not in on the jokes. Just stop thinking you're cooler than the situation. Get a TikTok and watch Bridgerton. <laughs> yeah, I, and I truly think today, so I don't know if you've noticed that there's been like um, this revival uh, in the fashion world of like Renaissance style mm-hmm. like corsets mm-hmm. and um, just that whole vibe, I think. And I think there's a lot. You know, I could probably talk about this more, but I do think that Bridgerton has um, played a role to, a role in that for sure, and is now kind of affecting all other parts of our social lives and the, the culture. And I do think comparing Bridgerton to another show we talked about on this podcast, like Emily in Paris, felt like this can't exist in reality and was like a little cringy, but Bridgerton almost feels like it's just a different reality. It's like a period piece. So it's easier to kind of just like dive into it. But also I think that there's like a lot of very interesting lessons in Bridgerton and a lot of Mm -hmm. really smart storytelling. And so I'm down for like this to be the trend, whether we have more television shows that kind of have the same um, drama and quality of Bridgerton, or if we want to start dressing like lords and ladies, I'm I'm all in for both. I'm kind of down. Like I was looking at the dresses and I was like, I get like one of those. They're so pretty. I've seen like three TikToks where people are like, um, I sent away to get official documentation to become a lady of like ancient Scottish lands. Oh my god, I should look that up. I'm um Irish. Oh, perfect. <laughs> yeah, so thank you all for listening to episode seven of Honey and Heart. We are still giving away some free stickers. <laughs> um, if you leave us a review or just like send us a message that you want them. <laughs> I was going like, to say, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, but I had an Android user friend who was like, hey, what the heck? And excuse me for living in my own bubble and forgetting that some people have Androids. I do apologize. Um, if you just want to like share about the podcast on your Instagram story or, you know, tell a friend how much they would love the episode. And if you want to send us a screenshot of that, just like show some love for us. We'd love to show some love back for you. We're excited to have folks who are listening. Thanks for supporting us. And for supporting us, we want you to uh, to be able to rep us with some sick stickers. Yeah, you guys are the OGs and we appreciate you so much. Um, so until next time, right? Until next time, um, I was going to say au revoir, which I guess I still will. Um, Farewell. Farewell. Bridgerton is not set in France, but au revoir. (laughs) Bye, Jackson. Bye, Taylor.